0: Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is Luke twenty nineteen through 26. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher... We know that you speak and teach rightly, and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness, and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said but marveling at his answer they became silent let's pray father god we just love you so much we just thank you for this time together to fellowship with each other to worship you to sing your praises Um, you're just everything to us lord and father i just thank you for your precious word I ask that you speak through grant today to us. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Thank you very much, Paula, my dear friend. Man, I've been looking forward to church today. I, I don't know. Some days, I, maybe I need it a little more. Maybe I just miss you guys or something. I love you. I, I've been really looking forward to, to just gathering with you so we could focus our attention on Christ, our Savior, and our Lord today. I just am thrilled to be in this pulpit on a Sunday morning again. Thanks for being here and for worshiping with us. Um, you know, this is where we are in the story is where we've been in the story and where we're going to be in the story. This is the story of the, the week of the Passion of the Christ. This is Jesus in, in the first part of this week, kind of in confrontation after confrontation with the world. With, uh, with the religious establishment in Jerusalem. And we're gonna move you know, here in a few weeks, we'll move to, to Jesus kinda huddled up with his disciples and you're gonna see a different kind of, of message, a different kind of communication as Jesus talks to his, the, the ones who are following him, the ones who love him. But man, this is important stuff and I'm, I'm, I'm just excited to dig into this passage with you that I think gets used a lot, misused mostly, and I wonder if you were just going to, if, if this was Bible class and I was going to say, all right, everybody underline the main idea of this passage, what would you underline? I think mostly we think about this as, hey, we need to figure out what it means to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And I, that's, that's not a bad thing to think through. That's a great, you know, Conversation. Let's work it out over coffee. Actually, come on Wednesday night. We'll work it out over coffee and and uh, you know a good discussion with Christian people, and we'll have a great conversation about it. But um, but the question that the scribes and priests asked Jesus is very close to questions that get asked in our day. What is the role of the civil government in the life of a believing person? Isn't that at the heart of what, at least what they want to talk about? And I would give you this encouragement right off the bat. I don't know that that's what Jesus wants to talk about, but that certainly is what they want to talk about. Hey, how should we live with Rome? And I have a heart for this. In the church let me just let me just say I think political power is one of the idols we struggle with most. I think it would be pretty easy for me to stand up here on a Sunday morning and go don't do drugs and you guys would be like yes. Talk bad about the people who take drugs. Or I think I could probably stand up and go we shouldn't steal things. If stealing is your idol, repent of it and we'd go yes. If people steal my things, that makes me angry. And if I go give up on the blue donkeys and red elephants. Just stop cheering. You guys would go, well, come on. what? Let's let's break down what it is to give to Caesar what a Caesar's after all. I think for us good, middle class, upper middle class, believing people, political power can be one of the most enticing idols that we have to shed. We know that we can't be sexual sinners. It'd be pretty easy. It's called pandering, right? If I get up here and harangue for an hour about uh, don't be sexual sinners, you guys go, powerful message. But if I go, don't be political idolaters, you go, ah, what's Grant know? I don't know what Grant knows. Well, I'm, try, I'm gonna try real hard to only say things Jesus said first, you know. I'm gonna try real hard to have, be as Grant-free as possible. But if I say, hey, we shouldn't be drunkards, amen, we shouldn't be thieves, Amen. We shouldn't get bent, get bent out of shape over politics. Eh, amen. <laughs> we know we can't be sexual sinners. We know we can't be drunkards. We know we can't be thieves, but maybe it'd be okay if we pursued power civically after all. The, the argument goes, if Christians <clears throat> were in charge of everything, the world would be better, right? Right? Got a history book? (laughs) Certainly. Don't let me not say this. We need Christians in every aspect of society. There is no honorable, we probably don't need Christian drug dealers. Probably, that's not your mission field. Just let me say it right now. But in every honorable aspect of society, we need Christians to be a part of it. But the idea that some Christians are called to serve in a civic role is very different idea than the church should run the government. And I hear, especially on the interwebs, an awful lot of the church should run the government. And I don't know if that's what Jesus wants to talk about. So before we decide how we pull it into 2023, we got to know what Jesus actually said in the year 30 or whatever it was. And I know this is touchy. It makes me nervous. I've prayed more than usual, and I pray a lot over this stuff. It makes me nervous to preach about this stuff. We all bring in ideas that, that there might be a, a disparity of opinion. I guarantee if there's, you know, a hundred of us in the room, we probably have 120 opinions about it. But the, the problem that Jesus wants to address is not politics. The problem that Jesus wants to address is idolatry. And I'm very comfortable with us being politically active in our lives. Go vote and pay your bills and write your senator. Tell him I said hi. But we have to move away from and repent of idolatry of anything. And I think that's what Jesus wants to talk about. What do I do with this denarius what a question you know, I found some comfort, I need to tell you. I, it's, uh, I know this is a touchy subject. It makes me, you know, go, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm not super eloquent. Sometimes I say things and I go, ugh, that's not really what, you know, like I'm, I'm not always, sometimes my brain's moving faster than my mouth, or my mouth's moving faster than my brain, mostly. And so I go, oh, I don't want to say anything. And t- I was talking with Tiffany about it this week, and I said, I just want people to get their eyes off the red elephants and off the blue donkeys, and I just want them to get their eyes on the riz and crucify." I risen lamb of God. And she goes, yeah, you say that almost every week. So I was like, oh, okay. Okay. I think we'll be okay then. Thank you, Tiffany. You should have a wife like Tiffany. The world is much better. What do I do with this denarius? Because Rome wants it for taxes, but Rome does all kinds of terrible things. This sounds, sounds like a very modern argument. Rome crucifies people if they backtalk a Roman soldier. Rome makes us carry their bags. They beat us, and there are no consequences. Infanticide is legal. You don't want a baby in Rome, you just leave it under a bush somewhere. Caesar even says that he's divine. Caesar says that he is the son of the gods. How could we support such a system? Maybe I should take this denarius and use it to buy a sword. Start me a holy war. Or maybe I should just pay my taxes. You know, after all, we really like the temple that Herod built. Couldn't have done that without, without Roman support. And, you know, we do have freedom of religion. Rome, of all of the terrible ancient world powers, was unique in that when they conquered people, They didn't make you convert to their religion, but you were allowed to still worship Yahweh. That's got to be worth something. Maybe I should just... Because as bad as Rome is, I've heard stories about great, 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 great Grandpa Daniel in Babylon. That seemed worse. We don't have to worship the pantheon of Rome. There's been relative peace. It's peace that's been born of oppression and power, but, but it's been peace. We're still in our homeland. Rome is bad, but, you know, it is what it is. Maybe we should just pay our taxes. But this is one of those times where Jesus answers not the question that's asked, but rather the question that needs to be answered. And I think we should pay attention. So let's walk through, just kind of verse by verse, and see what Jesus' main point is. What would you underline? What do you think? The main idea of Jesus' teaching here is. So it starts in verse 19. And the scribes and chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour for they perceived, these guys are super geniuses. They had perceived that he had told this parable against them. Remember how Jesus told a parable last week about some evil tenants that the landowner had left and they had beaten up all of the, the servants that had come and all of that. And I mean, at the end of it, they have an argument. Jesus and, and these priests have an argument. So there's, there's even a little bit of comedy here, a little bit of humor, um, as, uh, but also like the depth of darkness in the heart of these priests is revealed. Jesus has just told a parable absolutely with them in the crosshairs. And Luke goes, they perceive that this was about them. And there is some levity there, but man, how profound is the depth of human depravity, of human darkness in our hearts that we can see clearly what Jesus is talking about and instead of repenting can look for a way to silence Jesus. And let's not pretend that that human trait got left in the first century either. We have the ability To clearly hear, and maybe there's sin in your life where you know this is true. It's not a matter of knowledge. It's not a matter of you don't know what's right and wrong. It's a matter of we have a rebellious heart. And for them, they feared the people. Well, God's will is not the only thing to consider here. There's also how stressed out I am. There's also the fact that my family ignores me and the boss doesn't appreciate me. And after all, I'm only human and boys will be boys. They saw clearly what Jesus was saying, and instead of repenting, wanted to shut Jesus up. And that is a human trait that we still have. It reminds me of Nathan in uh, the court of Daniel, of uh, David. You remember that David has a friend who comes in and tells a parable clearly outlining that David was sinful in his relationship with Bathsheba, tells the story using, using sheep and, and other people, and David is so incensed at the end of it. David doesn't understand that the parable's about him, and so um, at the end of it, he's so incensed, David's like, we gotta kill whoever did this, and then the prophet goes, you are that man, and David repents in sackcloth and ashes. When David saw that the story had been about him, he repented with tears. Practically repented, not just went, oops, my bad, well, I'm glad God's merciful. But there was practical repentance. He changed, he did things to demonstrate change. So David is held up as a man after God's own heart, not because he never sinned, but because he listened when God convicted him. He was ready to repent and change these men have hearts that are far too hard for that they hear a story that is absolutely about them and they're unwilling to repent and maybe if we could just we're going to hear things today that it's hard not to think about you know donkeys and elephants and whether you're team blue or team red or whether you're like i'm team purple i hate all the colors okay whatever Instead of that, could we just have hearts that are ready to repent if God sees fit to convict us? So they watched him, and they sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him. This is called being on the Internet, people pretending to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak... And teach rightly, flattery, 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 total, total like hogwash, and show no partiality. Um, they don't believe any of that stuff, uh, but truly teach the way of God. They still don't believe that. And then here it comes. Drop the hammer. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? So they've huddled up and studied Jesus, and they have found what everyone finds when they study Jesus. What Pilate will find as he studies Jesus, that there is no fault in him. That they cannot attack him based on his theology. They have tried go. They have tried attacking him, uh, talking about the authority that he wields as like he is speaking for God, and they find that there is no crack in that, that he actually is the God-man, that he speaks first person with authority, and they can't prove anything wrong about that. So instead of going, we should really consider whether maybe or not this is the Messiah, maybe let's repent, maybe let's follow him and see if he makes life better, but instead they go, we gotta find another way. So they're set plan B is they're gonna get him in trouble with Rome. They attacked him as religious Jews on the question of his authority. And all that got them was they got called evil and um, you know were told, told that they were headed for destruction. So now they're going to catch him in something that might get in trouble with the secular authorities. I mean, Jesus presents himself as a king. Peace, donkey, palm branches... My house will be a house of prayer. He presents himself as a king. Surely that's an affront to Rome, isn't it? Maybe they can get Rome to do their dirty work. and Maybe in part it's a valid question. Even if it's not a valid question, it's one that's close enough that it might be worth thinking about. Is the authority of Jesus a threat to the power of Rome? (sighs) Well, yes and no, isn't it? It's above Rome's power. Roman power is going to be held accountable to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet, Jesus didn't come to overthrow Rome, but rather to overthrow the kingdom of sin and death. The question becomes even more difficult when those who are in most power I mean, okay, so let's think about political power for a minute. In some way even the 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 commands in Genesis one and two that we as a people, as a humanity, are supposed to subdue the earth. We are given dominion by God to rule the earth as we see fit. And the initial plan was as, as, as co-regents with God on, directly under His leadership. But as sin has so poisoned everything about us, it becomes more difficult because those frequently, those who are most in power, those who are subduing more than their fair share of the earth, Are doing so selfishly. They have clearly decided to govern in a way that does not honor God, and more heartbreaking for me, in a way that hurts people. Not caring for people in a relationship with God and the natural order, but instead abusing those things for their own glory. It's a difficult question. And in some ways, we'll always be in that condition. Looking at the world and saying, the system is broken. Look, if you live to 2,000 years old and the Lord tarries, I promise you will always look at the system and go, it's broken. Unless they make you king or queen. Then for a little bit of time, you might go, this is all as it should be. (laughs) This is what we've been trying to do the whole time. So we too might ask, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Mark records the question about taxes. He says, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar? But Luke renders it tribute, and I think tribute makes it easier to understand. Because our understanding of taxes is something like a collective pot where, you know, at some point we're hoping Kimball gets paved and is not just full of potholes. You know what I mean? Like, we're, that's what we're hoping taxes do—that we all give some money, and then the poor are cared for, and the their, the stop lights work, and you know, and there's a Fourth of July party on the lawn or whatever. That it, we give money and it supports services and infrastructure for the culture, for the citizens that that have given, and 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 um, and and those that are hurting. And of course, we get mad when we think our We're paying more than our fair share of those taxes or that the government isn't holding up their end of the bargain. But that's not what's going on in the first century at all. Rather, this money was just for the glory of Caesar. That's all it was for. There was no like, give us your taxes and we'll be sure the poor in Israel are taken care of. There were no lying politicians. There were politicians telling the absolute truth. Give us your money for the glory of Caesar. We're sending it to Rome. And Rome looks great. And we're using it to fight wars so Rome can grow. This was not a community tax. It was tribute. And the money that did stay local was funding Roman occupation. And remember, these people were not becoming citizens of Rome. They had all the bad parts of being a citizen, they could get crucified, they could get thrown in prison, they could get beaten by a a Roman soldier, but there was no full citizenship. They weren't getting to vote or a say in anything. So these men have put Jesus in a spot where if Jesus says, sure, I think the current system works just fine. Well, the common person around him will turn on him immediately. What are you talking about? This system works just fine. And we might think that same thing. If somebody said, Hey, I just, I don't, I think we shouldn't concentrate on any social thing. Everything's going just fine. You might go, What? Do you have a window at your house? But if Jesus says, You're right, the system is a mess, don't give Rome anything, well, they know that their hearts are bent away from Jesus. They'll turn him in as an insurrectionist. And in their mind, that'll be the end of Jesus. Rome will take, take it from there. So again, let's, pretend, let's not pretend like we don't ask similar questions. The system we are in is also flawed. Whether you like blue donkeys or red elephants, I promise you're mad at somebody. You think the system's a mess one way or another. Give it four years and you might think the system's a mess in a completely different way. But this is still a common, what should we do about this mess? Our leaders let us down too in varying degrees. More and more it feels like we as a people are worshiping a pantheon of pagan gods too. Their names aren't Jupiter or Juno or Mars or Venus or Apollo, but rather the gods that are worshiped in our land are greed and comfort and self and celebrity, and outrage. Oh, this God of outrage that's cropped up in the last several years. Mm, Nothing better than feeling all righteous and outraged. I might say this again before this is over. The anger of man never produced the righteousness of God. James said it, I agree with it. Sensuality, sexuality, sexuality, Gods we worship. There aren't Roman soldiers in our way, but there's plenty to grieve. Vulnerable among us aren't cared for. Sex trafficking makes me angrier than I can think of. We get our products in ways that aren't ethical. Families are hungry. There's violence. You can't I mean it's you know, we have we have a culture of abortion that's leaning towards infanticide more and more. What should we do about it? We still want to know, God, are you okay with all of this? Should we participate in this system? Should we make it our goal to take control of the system? Is the path to your will, God, going to be finding and getting the right people in places of power? What do we do about the state of the world? These are important questions. And every radio station and podcast has answers. So verse 23, Jesus says, um, he perceived their craftiness. I love this. Jesus is not snowed by their, oh, good teacher, we know that you don't take and make any, you know, have any prejudice and that you only speak on behalf of God. Jesus isn't buying it for one second. Don't try to, don't try to snow Jesus. It's not going to work. He perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have on it? And they said Caesar's. There's a hint. So Jesus is bringing out, like putting their hypocrisy on display right away. Um, Even as Jesus says, show me a denarius, their question was something like, Jesus, you don't want us to participate in this ungodly Roman culture, this ungodly Roman system, do you? And he said, who has a Roman coin? And they were like, we've all got them. I mean, if they really meant this stuff, they could have not had any denarius. They could have said, no, we're sticking with the barter system. We're only using we're only using uh, Jewish money. We have it. We had it before uh, Caesar got here, and we don't care what it costs us. We're not going to be part of the system, but they're all carrying denarius. They've got them. And then there's the coin itself. On one side is a picture of probably Tiberius, and the words say... Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. Well, that is idolatry 101. We've got ourselves an image to worship. We've got ourselves a proclamation of divinity. On the other side of the coin was, there's a couple of ideas about which coin this might have been, but, um, but maybe it was Tiberius's mom and the words high priest. So we have... A king and a priest, divine. Well, that's about as bad as it gets. I mean, I think you and I would. It's easy for us to go, oh, you know, modern day governments are trying to take over the place of God. Yeah, that, that's yeah, right. That's right. So the coin symbolized a ton of pain. This wasn't just a coin. This was suffering. Jesus, are you okay? With the suffering? Are you okay with the immorality? Are you okay with the societal idolatry? Jesus, are you just gonna stand by and and let these people be like this? Or Jesus, are we is, is it pistols at dawn? There was real practical, real world challenge here. Hey, King Jesus. Well, Tiberius says he's king. What are you going to do about it? So, then He said to them in verse 25, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And some articulate this in a way that's something like this. That Jesus is teaching that parts of our lives are under God's control and some parts of our lives are under the authority of other powers, civic powers. And there might be some merit to that. In fact, if you grab some questions for our discussion on Wednesday night, I think it'd be good for us to think about what kind of categories of things have, what, what, what categories of our lives are under the control of, you know, civic authorities and, and, and what are, are strictly under God's. But but that's one of those things that's almost right, isn't it? I think Jesus is, is more highlighting a, a qualitative difference between the kingdom of God and all other kingdoms. These are not competing kingdoms. But, um, and I think that that's really important. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of man are at odds. They're not rivals. God is not going, wow, I hope I win. There is no threat to the authority of the king of kings and lord of lords. I'll talk about this a little more in a minute, but is Rome a problem now? No. God is the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's no such thing as a threat to him. But it's idolatry to act like there's a threat. This is not some realms are over here and some realms are over here, but rather I think this is just a Jewish way of seeing the world, which, has, which is a Christian way of seeing, seeing the world, that some things are Havel and some things are Olam. Someday I'm going to preach through Ecclesiastes. That's going to be my favorite sermon to use. If I start preaching through Ecclesiastes, you probably know I'm about to retire because I'm saving it out there. Because so, once, once I do that, I'm like, oh, that's all I want to do in the world. So, but, but, the, but some of the big ideas in the book of Ecclesiastes are exactly this, that, that so much of what we care about is havel, is vanity, is meaningless. And again, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist or it's not real or it doesn't have meaning. It means we're building sandcastles too close to the shore and they're going away. All of this is just temporary. We care so much about stuff that is just not going to matter to you in a hundred years. Some of us are old. It's not going to matter to me in 25 years, 50 years. We get so bent out of shape about stuff that is havel, is meaningless, is vanity. Then there's this other stuff that's olam. God has put olam in the heart of every man. He has put eternity in the heart of every man. And that eternity doesn't mean just future. It means like, bah, like the whole ball of wax. You know how your, your, your heart is a bottomless pit and no matter what you put in it, you wake up the next day and go, eh, need more. Well, that's because you are throwing Havel into a pit of, that requires olam. You are throwing meaningless smoke, vapor, mist. You're building sandcastles near the ocean going, what a great sandcastle. And then you come the next day and go, what happened to the sandcastle where well, the ocean just took it? Everything's temporary. But there are some things that are eternal. People's hearts, your neighbor, your soul, the power of God. His reign in your life. These things are olam. These things are eternal. So Jesus is downright dismissive. This is why the point of this passage is not about giving to Caesar what Caesar's. The point of this passage is Jesus being downright dismissive about the power and the kingdom of Rome. He's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay, Tiberius on the coin, then give it back to him. Get your eyes off of Rome and onto something that matters far more. Rome is temporary; it's Havel. You are not worried about what Tiberius thought about anything. And Rome is limited. It might have, might not have felt like it at the time, but Rome didn't even take up the whole earth. Much less all of time and space. There's much more going on in the universe. There's much more going on in our lives. So again, Ecclesiastes has this idea of like life under the sun, which is like, you know, all the stuff you do. It's like, you know, sports and, and, and family and all, whatever, like your job and, and money and the way we distribute power and the whole thing, life under the sun. But then there's this idea of eternity. Life beyond the sun. And here's the thing. We can never get life under the sun so nailed that it satisfies our, our need, our desire for eternity. Of course there's a better way to live in life under the sun. And it's meaningful to ask, all right, how would a Christian approach this social thing? How would a Christian vote on this particular issue? Those are valuable questions. Because life under the sun does matter. But it's not eternal. It's not what satisfies your heart. It's not even how the world gets better. And as Jesus is talking about image, so Tiberius is the image on the coin, but do you know that you bear the image of God? Forget about the image of Tiberius. You are representative of the Lord Most High. So vote and serve and talk and work and pay your bills and have hobbies and you know I hope your team wins and the whole thing, but none of that produces righteousness. In fact, if we if we put our trust in that stuff, if we think that's the way the world gets better, then we are idolaters. That's all life under the sun stuff. It matters but it doesn't last. It matters, but it's not ultimate. So when we ask the question, how should a Christian live in this world, it needs to be asked in a bigger context. Jesus is not pro-Rome. But maybe what he's saying is that the way to transform Rome is by God's people living faithfully in God's kingdom. You want the world to be better. Me too. You want the world to be better, right? There's things that break your heart about our culture, right? We, we want things to change. We want the vulnerable to be more protected. And, and we want a, a world that's, that's fair and just. And we see cracks in that. And it's easy for us to get sucked into going, well, how to solve life under the sun stuff is by winning at life under the sun. But the kingdom of God grows like a mustard seed. And it can totally transform a culture. It can transform a nation. It can transform a family. It can transform seaside. But it's never top down civic power enforcing the kingdom of God. Rather, it's so much more magical and beautiful than that. It's the power of God in individual lives that are growing, being filled with the kingdom of God and spreading to take over the thing in this, in, in this spirit-led, joyful, peaceful way. I don't worry about the Christian impulse to make society more like the kingdom of God. We are supposed to pray that. God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I worry that the church gets lured into bringing about change in idolatrous ways. And if you were Satan, isn't that what you would do? Wouldn't you whisper in Christians' ears, you're right, they're the bad guys. Go get them. We hate blue donkeys those hateful red elephants Jesus wept over these people Jesus looked at the system that was so broken and cried cuz he loved them so much do you think god needs political power to change the world do you think god do you think god's going oh wrong president i'm stuck now Oh, that law got passed. Whatever will I do? Like, we got to be tougher. More secure, more solid in the power of God to change the world no matter what's going on. God can redeem any culture, and He wants to use a faithful church to do it. Jesus is never the underdog. man. people are making a fortune off of making us all feel like we're losing and if we gotta win or else, Jesus is not the underdog. Jesus is victorious. Seated with Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father and you seated with him on high. Kings wield power and God laughs. Have you read your Psalms? Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell are going down. The gates of hell are going down. We have the ball. Like we're on offense. The church should totally be the means of change in the world, but we do not fight political power with political power. We just don't. I know I'm taking a minute this morning, but it's important and I promise I, I, I erased more things than I'm saying. Um, if I, could, if I could just read Second Corinthians 10, 3 through 6 to you and see, get Paul's perspective on some of this. For we walk in the flesh, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. We play by different rules, but it's not how we do it. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. It is our obedience to Christ. This is how we wage war. I don't think Christians should not care about the world. I think Christians should care about the world so much that they have rich devotional lives. Christians should care about the world so much that we learn to give and fast and pray and honor God. And say no to sin. Live like lights in the world. Paul talking about morality in 1 Corinthians 5. Um, Let's see, 9 to 13. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not uh, at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters since you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother and is guilty of sexuality, sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. The, the priests in Jesus' day had flipped that. They were great at saying everything that was wrong with Rome, but they had neglected to take care of their own sin. They had neglected their own holiness. you know, it's funny. I know I joke about it, but seriously, the punk rock thing was serious to me in young in life. I, I, I meant that stuff. And, and there was one of the problems that, that, that the, the punks have. One of the reasons I love punk is because the, the punks are great at saying what's wrong with the world. They nail it. They're right almost all the time. But as I grew I realized, although they're right, they don't have any answers, right? They can articulate the problem. They know who the bad guys are. But besides start a mosh pit, which is very cathartic and wonderful, and it's okay. Um, But besides that, they didn't have an answer for how do we solve this? And sometimes the church is the same. The priests were great at saying what was wrong with Rome but they had totally missed how to change the world. I want to live in a world where the laws and customs reflect the loving heart of God, but we don't get there by demanding that the world acts like the church. We get to a better society by the church acting like the church should. We need to worry less about the idolatry and sin out there and more about the idolatry and sin in here. That's how the world gets better. That doesn't make us a holy huddle. That doesn't make us just salt in the salt shaker. That's how we change the world. It's not our earthly power, but our heavenly behavior that can change the world. Practically, if you're brokenhearted about the modern slave trade, change what you buy. If you're brokenhearted about abortion, adopt a child, support a foster family. and vote. Sure, it's great. Do it. Vote your conscience. Do what you think's right. But it's going to be how we act that changes the world. It's going to be how we live, not how we run our mouths, that changes the world. You're broken-hearted about sin. Let's start here. Let's change the way we talk to people. Let's actually love them. So again, vote and write your letter to your senator and, you know, tell everybody all about it. But seriously, learn to fast and pray. Learn to grow in love and peace and joy. Verse 26 is heart-wrenching. Verse 26, and they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. Like, do you ever marvel just that? what was Jesus' IQ? Like, I don't, like just Brilliant. People talk about Cicero. Come on, Jesus is the greatest orator in the history of the world, and it's not even close. They were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. That is a heartbreaking silence. May our hearts not be that hard. It reminds me of Elijah on Mount Carmel everybody else pronounces Carmel, but we know, we know. As the contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal are there, if you don't know the story, it's, I don't know, 1 Kings 18. If I'm right, that's because I'm very smart. If not, it's because I didn't look it up and I'm sorry. Um, but but the, the, the contest is there and before the contest starts, Baal's prophets are going to try to bring down fire and Elijah's going to try to bring down fire. And he, and he, and he draws the people close and he goes, stop hesitating between two opinions. Stop it with the back and forth dance. If Baal is God, then follow him. Choose. But if Yahweh is God, then follow him. And it says that the people had nothing to say. This is the same exact silence as that. Because there's this idea that you can worship God and still live with a little Baal in your life. Or you can worship Baal and still play church. But from the prophet's in the book of Kings all the way to Jesus standing there all the way to us today till the end of time like the same things going on in the church at Laodicea in in the book of Revelation like the whole thing is look, if if the red elephants are God then follow them, and if it's the blue donkeys then great and if it's sticking it to the man no matter what and going I'm for green fish I don't know just make something else up and follow it. But if Jesus is God, stop being an idolater and follow him. You can only give your heart. You can only give your life. You can only give your devotion. You can only give your worship to one or the other. So to sum up, the scribes and priests say, what should we do about this terrible government? And Jesus' answer is, stop worshiping it. The problem isn't the government, Jesus is saying. It's not Tiberius. It's not the coin. It's not the tribute. It's not the taxes. It's your idolatrous hearts. You know, I wonder if we would even go, how do I gauge if I'm, I mean, I obviously have, look, you're not going to, there's no shortage of opinions from me. How do I know if if I'm an idolater and with just, I, I care about the, you know, political atmosphere, uh, or or if I'm an idolater and I, I've I've given my hope, I've given my trust, and I'm following you know one party or another or some ideology or another, or if I'm a Christian who's following the Lord, and how would I gauge that? And I would say, you know, prayerfully, but just off the top of my head, does the news drive you to anger or prayer? Is there a prideful if they would just listen to my guy in your heart? Or do you just brokenheartedly pray for people? Are you worried about your rights or are you worried about justice for other people? Are you growing in the fruit of the Spirit? I tell you, the next election cycle is not going to breed love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But walking in step with the Holy Spirit does, even in the middle of the next election cycle. In fact, that's the point of Galatians 5, is that no matter what's going on in the world, we can be growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. We live in a world that's making a fortune off of our outrage, but anger never produced righteousness. It's never been the answer. I know this is corny, and I know it's been said before, but blue donkeys, red elephants, or the Lamb of God, you can worship one. And to worship one, you have to forsake all others. That's just the way relationships work. Stood here. On this side, Tiffany was standing on this side. Grant, do you take Tiffany? Yes, I do. Okay, put this ring on her finger as a sign that you're forsaking all others. That's just the way commitment goes. You don't get to worship God and then worship other things too. And I'll tell you practically, I am brokenhearted about the world and the news breaks my heart just like it does yours. And, and I wish things would be different in some ways. And, um, but I know that our world doesn't need an angry church. It needs a joyful church. That our world doesn't need an angry church. It needs a peaceful church. It needs a loving church. It needs a gentle church. It needs a kind church. It needs a self-controlled church. Our world doesn't need us to take the steering wheel of power. Our world is desperately looking for something that works for mature Christians to act like it. And that's how the world gets better. They can't see God. The, the, the Lord of this age has blinded the unbelieving. They can't see God. All they can see is the fruit we drop. All they can see is how we act. All they can see is whether or not we, if, if, if what we profess, if it actually works. If the fruit we bear... Is choosing a side and going those are the bad guys or those are the bad guys and you know they're terrible and they're terrible and whatever. However, how are anybody ever going to know what God is like? It's okay to talk about what it means to render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but Jesus didn't want to talk about that. Jesus wants to challenge us to say, "Hey." Are you giving to God what is God's? Are you fully committed to Him and Him alone? Yeah, I know you know not to follow the idolatry of too much screen time and, and don't look at dirty pictures. But are you, all, are you prepared to get rid of all of the idols and experience joy? And love and peace and self-control that comes with being in step with the Holy Spirit. So right now, let's be sure that our hearts belong to the King of Kings and Lord of the Lords, that Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. And let's repent of idolatry and find peace and joy in Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father. I don't know what I would do without you. I have no idea how I would have any sense of hope or or peace or or kindness or gentleness if it wasn't for you. God, I just that's just not offered in our world. There's just it's hard to find any place that that isn't just growing fruit of outrage and anger. And God, I understand what the priests were going through. It does seem like the, you know, if you're a fish, the fishbowl seems like all there is. And we're in this world where everybody's always yelling and, 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 and accusing other people and, and desiring power and claiming that the world's going to get better if, if one side or one person or one ideology has the power. God, I just don't, I just don't buy it. Lord, the world's going to get better the brighter Your church shines. So God, teach us to shine with Your love. Lord, call us to give You the glory that's due Your name. To die to ourselves. To love our neighbor. To love our enemies. To to fully with everything we have. Lord, call us to the spiritual disciplines. Help us to grow in our love for You. Help us to seek first your kingdom. And God, we do pray for the world around us. Lord, we're heartbroken that there's you know, there's babies that don't get a chance to live and there's there's kids that need homes and there's slaves making products that we buy and there's injustice in seaside and Lord, we see it and it breaks our hearts and it's easy, anger is an easier emotion than grief I guess and so God we do bring our world before you and go God as we live as the church is supposed to live would you please act in our society draw us to you draw our leaders to you draw our citizens to you God thank you for loving us and being patient with us Lord as we grow We anticipate peace and joy. Would you bring it into our lives? In Jesus' name, amen.